0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 37. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide
1: you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah.
0: Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com. And get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars, plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsya.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your filler up book today at Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am extremely excited to introduce. Something very special today on Cars Yeah, three guests, Tom Nault, Vic Tiscarino, and Nicholas Bergeron. Guys, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Buckled in.
0: All right. Well, this will be a unique one for Cars Yeah, but I'm really looking forward to it, and I appreciate you being here. What happens when three successful entrepreneurs, who all share a passion for vintage and exotic cars collaborate on how to spend their Saturday mornings, you end up with exotics at Redmond Town Center. The cars and coffee phenomenon is sweeping the country, and here in the Pacific Northwest, it lives strong. Every Saturday morning, when it's not raining, enthusiasts gather to enjoy their cars and talk shop. These three amazing guys run the show with the help of dedicated volunteers, and having attended this really fun event, what a gathering it's become. Amazing people and amazing cars creating an amazing and spectacular event. So, guys, I've told our listeners a little bit about what you're up to. If you could each take a moment and share a little bit more about yourselves, your interests, your passion for automobiles, we'll start with Vic.
1: Hey, Mark, thanks for having us. Yeah, I started, uh, I, I've been an entrepreneur for since about uh, 1978 and uh, in the electronics business from uh, not only having a small service shop, but manufacturing communication products, on through to high-end audio products. And during my last stint here uh, in my career, I worked for Apple Computer and have retired since, and, and uh, so having more time to play with cars.
0: And how about you, Tom?
2: Um, you know, I, I've been an entre- pretty much a serial entrepreneur since I got out of college, Sold my last company to Qualcomm in 2007, and that's really when I started to get into exotic cars. Bought a Lamborghini, kept it down in Orange County for a while, and had a blast with it. And then uh, later that year, decided to bring it up to the Northwest and noticed there was a lack of car activity. And so that was really the genesis for Vic and I getting e at rtc off the ground.
0: Spectacular. And then, Nick, how did you get involved with these two crazy guys?
2: Well, I grew up on the other side
3: of the state, and and, um, my business plan is a little bit different than these guys. I've spent most of my time in uh, risk management, uh, life discipline, and long-term care, but since I was little, uh, I've uh, been a car guy. I'm the kid that had the 1,000 Matchbox cars sitting around his house, annoying his parents, and I tend to try to find uh, fellow car guys wherever I go, and so when I moved over to the Seattle area in 2008, I started sort of pushing around and eventually stumbled across Redmond Town Center and Happen to be there on a Saturday to see this wonderful spectacle. Yeah,
0: it is incredible, and I can't remember when I first the first time I visited your guys' event, but I was really surprised at the really wide variety of cars and people that show up. And I think that's what makes it so interesting. There's guys with motorcycles that show up, hot rods, exotic, all sorts of different vehicles. So it is a really fun event. So when you you get three enthusiasts together, they come up with a great idea. And this is what we end up with. And we'll talk a little bit more of how this whole process got formulated. I always like to start the journey here with a success quote. And this is a saying that perhaps has been instrumental in forming your success or your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, guys, let's take the wheel. And each of you can tell me a little bit about a success quote that means something to you.
1: Try to be fair and always try to do the right thing. Perfect. That works in business.
0: <laughs> yes, and life too, right?
2: For me, it's always about getting out of your own way. I think that this is one of the key ingredients in order to become a successful entrepreneur. I think that a lot of people don't realize how to get uh, get in their own way, and I think that uh, that's always the big challenge. If you can kind of come to terms with with who you are and what's, what's stopping you from being a success, I think that you can remove some of those obstacles and actually get somewhere.
0: Great advice. And Nick, how about you?
2: Uh, you know... Coming from a background where I've worked with my father and
3: he's taught me all these valuable lessons, I think the best thing I can say is success is earned and not given. If you want something, you need to go out and find it, not wait for someone to bring it to you.
0: Perfect. I'm going to ask each of you guys to talk a little bit about how these success quotes have been incorporated into your work and involvement with exotics at Town Center. How have you incorporated those quotes into your life? But in this case, how have you incorporated those quotes into... Formulating and putting together an event like this that's ongoing, requires a lot of nurturing and, and work and, and involving a lot of volunteers, obviously. We'll start with Vic.
1: We have, uh, you know, it's called Exotics at Redmond Town Center. And over the time that we've been running the event, we try to be fair and considerate to car enthusiasts that come in for the different types of cars, that, with the different types of cars that they have. Uh, it started off as an exotic car-only event, and it's uh, blossomed into uh, other cars. And, uh, you know, there are some cars that sometimes don't meet the criteria. So that's when we bring out that, that thoughtful and considerate uh, comment that we have to make to, to a car that may not be, be able to come into the show. Sure. So that, that, that becomes a, a balancing act, as you can imagine.
0: Yeah. How do you deal with that? Because obviously everybody with cars have their own feelings about their cars and how special they are. So maybe you can give us an example of how you delicately word something like that, because other people that might want to create events like this are certainly going to encounter that kind of situation.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, it was a, it was a chicken and egg problem. In order to build the event, we had to get the uh, we had to get the right cars. And to get the right cars, you have to have the right audience. And so you can't have one without the other and you have to build them both simultaneously. If you have cars that don't draw an audience as a part of your event, what happens is that You don't get the spectators. If you don't get the spectators, you can't get the really valuable cars. They're not going to go through the trouble to come out. And so that enters into it when you start to talk to people about their car not being particularly show ready for that type of an event. We still invite those individuals in and we say, look, just park your car and come on in and enjoy it and uh, see some of the other cars that are here. It's very delicate. It's something that sometimes we have people that are kind of angry about it. It's something we really don't want to do. We don't want to deny somebody access to the event. It's always been the case where we've just tried to hold the bar so that people have a clear expectation in their head about what the event means. And it's tricky because everybody sort of um, has a different idea of what that baby is in terms of cars that they want. But people don't come from across the mountains to see the same car that they could see in a Safeway parking lot that just has nicer wheels in spite of it sort of being there to be shown off and but they will come a long ways to see something that is extremely unusual or something that they you know, normally would be sitting in a museum somewhere and so it's always about striking that balance we do try and make it so that you know some cars get in that aren't quite up to up to show level we have always sort of shied away from letting it become a free for all Um, We saw, you know, when this show actually started, Vic and I discussed sort of the problem that uh, Cars and Coffee Irvine was having at the time when suddenly uh, the S2000 Club showed up one day on a nice Saturday morning displacing a Raventon that had come down from the the Santa Monica area. Mm. And... uh, that car was displaced and sent to the um, spectator parking lot uh, because there just wasn't any room to bring it in and we thought about ERTC and what we wanted to become and we thought well the first thing that we have to do is really have a very defined brand if we have a defined brand we have a defined image then people have an expectation for both spectator and participant and uh, and so we we built it around that notion.
0: I think that's great. And, Tom, you talked a little bit about entrepreneurship and knowing how to get out of your own way. How has that worked with formulating and putting together and running a show like this?
2: Well, it, it's it's taking the risk. Uh, Vic and I, when we talked about doing it, this type of event in the Northwest has failed time and time again. Everybody has tried to, to sort of have a Cars and Coffee, but it never went very far. And so the risk is initially when we started the event, we got a lot of flack for doing it. It was We were blasted in just about every form for doing something that was considered elitist. And so getting out of your own way in this case is really overcoming the fear to do something that you believe is going to actually work. And so we just stuck to our guns. I mean, there were many times when Vic and I thought about ah, just bagging it and just saying, oh, let's Let's go do something else on a Saturday. It's not worth it. But we persisted. We just kept going. And part of it was that we had such amazing volunteers that quickly got involved. And the volunteers were so fun and they were so dedicated. And we just had such a terrific time doing it that it made all that negative energy well worth overcoming.
0: This next question I'm going to have Nick start out with, it's about that moment in your life that instigated your passion for cars. Could you tell us a pivotal moment when you really knew that you were a car guy?
3: Yeah, I think uh, that traces back to my childhood. My grandfather had a 1959 Triumph TR3 that uh, he bought in 1960 for $1,000. In the early 80s, he kept it in the garage without the front wheels on it and propped up in the garage. And I remember sitting in that car and playing, and that car has become such a pivotal part of my childhood. I still own it, and, and my father and I did a full restore on it. So it's something that reminds me every time I walk into the garage, you know, I, t- I take a lot of my mechanical ability from my grandfather, and I really, that helps me uh, play with cars. And cars kind of are my calming. When I have a rough day, I can look, look back and know, that's what I can be around that will
0: make me happy. Oh, that's perfect. And I hear that story a lot with guests I have. I interviewed Wayne Carini from Chasing Classic Cars last night, and he talked about how experiences with his father is really what got him into the business and the passion. And his father's in his, I think he's at 94 now, and he's actually doing some of the shows with him. So that father and son bond has lasted a long time. Vic, how about you? When did you really know you were a car guy?
1: Well, I'll go back further and say that uh, I've always been uh, I've always liked mechanics, tearing apart things, from tearing down a lawnmower and putting it back together, hoping I put all the screws back and bolts in the right place and torquing the head down. My first car was actually uh, you know living in Southern California, and there's a lot of off-road activities. And so I bought a Volkswagen and it was chopped. And uh, had a Baja bug. You know what those oh, are? Oh yeah, I
0: saw a lot of those living down in SoCal.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, I, you know, I was, I was the guy with the chrome-plated engine and, and the thing, uh, you know, with, thirty-five-inch tall tires and, uh, you know, anyway, and I, I tore that motor down several times and did things to it, and so I was really into it. I was just recounting a, a story about tearing down Volkswagens. Uh, I, I even did a rebuild in my girlfriend's uh, living room. <laughs> So anyway, uh, and it progressed, and I really was keen on uh, when the rotary engine came out and uh, my dad bought. I talked him into buying a Mazda RX-4. We skipped over the RX-2 when it came out in 1972, and I progressed and really became a fan of the motor because of the technology. I thought it was fairly promising. I bought a brand-new... Uh so I bought a brand new RX7 in 1979 when they first came out. Was on a waiting list and got that car and and that's that's really my first foray into brand new car, new technology. And I later on bought the second generation RX7 and I'd never bought the third generation. They weren't on the market that long, but I uh, have dreams of actually at some point getting a third generation and push and shoving and uh in a uh, 20B rotary engine into it uh, just for fun. But anyway, that, that's that's really what got me started uh, is is, the, is tearing down lawnmowers on us.
0: I like that. You got started in the car passion with lawnmowers. That's cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and, Tom, how about you?
2: you know, it, it, it started in high school. I was driving my parents' car and noticed this Fiat 850 Spider. It was orange. You know, foreign cars weren't that common in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, at the time. Had to have that thing, and so this thing was a real piece of junk. The the fastest thing it did was rust, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was one of those cars that when you drove down the road and you went around a corner, some of the parts wanted to go straight, and the other parts would go on the corner (laughs) with (laughs) you. Oh my! (laughs) So it was just a constant battle to try and keep that thing running. But it sort of made me fall in love with cars. And I then saw a magazine that had a Ferrari in it, and I'd never seen a Ferrari before in my life. And it was the Berlinetta Boxer, and I just absolutely fell in love with that car. And um, all of a sudden, it started to sort of open my mind to what exotic cars really were. And over the years, as I would take trips to California... I would see these amazing exotics running up and down PCH, and I thought, okay, someday that's going to be something I'm going to do. So, of course, when I got my first Lamborghini, that's what I had to do was run it up and down PCH because that was sort of a milestone in my life.
0: Oh, yeah, dream come true. Well, how many in the room had that uh rodent track poster of the BB-12 black one coming out of the smoke on their wall when they were a kid? My hand's up in the air right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So guys, this next question is an interesting one. I want to take a look and go down the roads that you've driven and really crawl under the hood and and get our hands a little dirty. I'd like you to share a huge challenge or even a big failure that you faced that really pushed you to a breaking point. And if you'd like, we can keep this to the respects of the event that you guys run, or if you want to get more personal with it, that's fine with me. More importantly, though, our listeners really like to hear about how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it. So let's start with uh, Tom.
2: Well, you know, for me, the difference between failure and success is getting up one more time. (laughs) And so, you know, when you are sitting there and you sort of think that everything is lost, you just have to push through those moments. You can't ever kind of get to that point where you just accept it. There are times when you have to pivot and make different decisions. It's happened several times in business for me. But, you know, it, a lot of it is, is just the persistence of getting up and doing it. And I think that a big part of the process is that you have to love the journey that you're on in the first place. And so, you know, bringing it back to E at RTC, when Vic and I uh, first started the event, I, the bottom line was we were having fun. Every Saturday morning we'd show up, we'd find something to laugh at, There was always just something highly inappropriate that we all found fun. That's, in fact, how we found Nick here. There was nobody more inappropriate than Nick. so he just
0: fit
2: right Uh, in. One good thing to be known (laughs) for, I guess. So, you know, I thought it was like, oh, yeah, we like that guy. (laughs) So So Nick has
0: on his big, vast, inappropriate volunteer.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've been called worse. That's pretty much it. And so... We were a group of highly inappropriate volunteers who laughed at stuff that we would get yelled at by our parents for laughing at. But that was okay. And so that became our Saturday morning. So in spite of all the criticism we were getting for the event that we were putting on, um, we were still laughing and having a good time. And the funny thing was that it became infectious. And so the, the, the thing was, ignore the criticism, continue to have fun, laugh at ourselves. We made fun of each other a lot and we just brought us all together, and over time, as the years passed and as the event just started to become more and more accepted in the community, suddenly the criticism went away. I think by the third year, we just it stopped. It just completely stopped, and we've had very little ever since.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. When I interviewed uh, Tom McDermott of Concorso Italiano, he said something very similar. Running an event like that, he had some years where he was just ready to throw in the towel, and, and, but you just persevere. You keep keep moving on. So how about for you, Nick?
3: You know, I think uh, I've kind of stepped up into the lead volunteer role this last year, and it's been a a really different adventure for me, coming from somebody who was just sort of showing up on Saturday mornings and helping out. I think that, you know, we as thugs, uh, the the guys that park the cars, we face a challenge every day, like I said, Um, you know, to kind of go back to our previous question. You know, we've got a lot of people that come in and that one of their cars in the event, and you know, it's every car is special to them. And we have a thug that has a, a very good phrase called a compliment sandwich. Mm-hmm. Sandwich. You've got to talk to them, let them know that their car is special, but we just there's there's not a way to let them into that thing. And so we face that on a weekly basis. And I do I get the emails of people telling me, you know, what a horrible person I am, even though we were nice to them for not letting their cars in. And you know, you you can't take that personally because. You know, this organization was set up, and we have our, our our rules, and everybody has fun, and we want people to have fun. But inevitably, somebody's going to be hurt by our rules sure. and our regulations. Sure. Yeah.
0: And Vic, how about you? Is there a, a huge was there a huge point, a challenging point here where you were about ready to just say, "I've got better things to do"?
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I had some time to think about that, but I. I uh, you know, we've had some, I think we've had some uh, interesting personalities along the way, a lot of misunderstandings with some car owners. I don't know, sometimes people that buy exotics sometimes gain some entitlement somewhere along the way. I think the event has actually helped soften a lot of people in a lot of good ways. So, I would say that that was uh, that was the great outcome of having this event that we've this has become a great social event, so you know I, I don't see anything that's really been uh that negative we had you know had a rough start as Tom said earlier in the uh in the discussion uh we had a kind of a rough start uh because people didn't understand what we were doing and who are we to start an event like this and call the shots and and all this kind of thing so it really it, it, it took a lot to organize this thing and make it organized. I mean, we, we sometimes have as many as 250 to 300 cars have had that many, if not more. We get them in and get them out in two hours and get them parked and, in a nice way. And, uh, you know, that there are some challenges with that. Sure. So... Uh, but that, that's that's uh, that's the the nice sunny spot about them.
2: Yeah, going along with what Vic said, I think one of our biggest challenges isn't isn't so much the low end cars trying to get in, it's people who have never achieved anything in their life who show up with some sense of entitlement and want to make all of these demands. And so that's always been a real tough spot for us because they're the ones that go out and really try and and badmouth the organization. They sort of ruin it for everybody when they do
0: that. Well, I think you'll find, and you've probably already discovered this, is the loyal attendees uh, come to your rescue. You just kind of sit back and don't respond if there's something done that's brave behind the keyboard, like so many people will do on forums or postings. And you let your your folks come to your rescue and say, hey, this is a great event. You don't need to say that. So um, I can imagine it's fraught with adventure and sometimes uh, a little bit of agony.
2: Mark, initially we did have to fight. Uh, Initially we did because they really wanted to mischaracterize what the event was about. And so we constantly had to be on the keyboard, constantly delivering our same message over and over again what we were so that somebody couldn't turn the event into something it was not. You know, it's like a politician out there. You constantly have to say what you're about. And so Vic and I were doing that every day on the forums, every single day. You know, over time, we didn't have to do it as much, and you're right. Now that we've reached the point that we are, people kind of come to our rally.
0: Good. That's great. Guys, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum, and I'd like you to share a story when you had a real aha moment about exotics at Redmond Town Center when you really knew, hey, this is a success, it's going to continue to be a success And tell us if there are any steps you took to turn that aha moment into the success that it's become. We'll start with Vic.
1: One of the things that Tom was really great about is he was able to connect with a lot of the uh, manufacturers in the high-end community, create relationships. And the aha moment was when these cars started to show up. And we, we can name off some brands. But uh, simply put, that it really has created a better event when when Tom made those connections.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How about you, Tom?
2: Um, yeah, it was. It happened when that's kind of a long story. But we were able to get the entire senior team from Lamborghini to come out in our first season, and it was we were well into that first season when we did an event up at, at Salish Lodge. We had DeFond Winkleman, Manfred Fitzgerald, Maurizio Raggiani. We had you know, just a terrific team that stood in front of the podium and talked cars. And they even got into a debate about uh, various uh, form versus function aspects to exotic car design. The event sold out, but it gave EDRTC the credibility that it needed once that event had done. Because we shut down all of Redmond Falls City, All the way up to the lodge where we had a motorcycle motorcade, uh, moving all the cars so that we could get everybody up there. It was really quite a spectacular event. Oh wow! There was so much buzz about it that that was it. Once we did that event, it just it got easier after that because it sort of a lot of those who were sort of keyboard cowboys couldn't top that. It was so much fun. It was incredibly fun. And it's just built after that. And plus, we've been able to draw some of the most fabulous cars from the Northwest. I mean, Greg Witten has been a huge supporter of e at RTC from early on in, the, in our life, and same with Anthony. And so the two of them helped uh, build the credibility in the organization. Greg has just been, I mean, he's just hes just consistently bringing out amazing cars they cars that people would never otherwise get to see. His GTO is just one of the most remarkable cars out there, and so you know he just drives it like anybody else. It's just pretty cool.
0: That's really cool. And Nick, coming from being an attendee and then volunteering and now helping run the show, was there a point in time when you really showed up one of those mornings and went, this has made it?
3: You know, I think that all three of us know that this event can, can go away in a heartbeat if we don't treat it right and treat the people right. Every Saturday morning, I I, I come, I show up, and if people show up, I know we've made it. And, you know, when I get people coming up to me from across the pond, from Germany, from France, telling me that they've flown into Redmond to see this event, that tells me that we have something that's going to help, you know, it's going to last the time. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we have attendees that... that you know, these parents drive their kids across the state, across the country to see these cars because we're we're showing them something they can't see. Tom brought up a very good point. Where else are you going to see a 250 GTO that's one of two in the world? And the gentleman is willing to not only show it to you, but talk to you about the history and be one of the most knowledgeable people you'll ever talk to. Success is, is, is on a weekly basis in my mind.
0: That's great. Let's have a little fun here, guys, and talk about your first cars a little bit. Can each of you tell me what your first car was and perhaps give me just a quick little story about an adventure you had with the, that car or some great memory? We'll talk. We'll start with Tom.
2: Oh, yeah, that, that definitely was that uh, Fiat 850 Spider. The thing leaked coolant like crazy, and it leaked it over on the passenger side, and so you pretty much lived with the smell of coolant any time you drove that car. <laughs> it was going to get into everything. And so it leaked it through the heater. So it would drip down onto the passenger's knee, and it would drip into the carpet. And so any time I smell coolant now, I immediately think of that car, because to this day, <laughs> coolant still smells the exact same.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. That's great. And Vic, how about you?
1: Well, aside from my lawnmower? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I was hoping you wouldn't say my first car was a Honda.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Briggs and Stratton. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, no, my my first car actually was the hand-me-down family truckster. It was a 1970 Ford Country Squire with the fake wood paneling. Ooh! And then <laughs> that really set it off. Yeah. And uh, that's what I drove for probably a year to high school, and then I I graduated to the uh, a 1963 Volkswagen, which I. You know, completely resto-modded, I guess, as a as a Baja bug, and that was a lot of fun. And then graduated to the RX7.
0: Yeah, cool. Uh, And Nick, how about you?
1: uh, My first vehicle was a 1979 four
3: door Ford Granada, and it was Granny Apple Green, and it was (laughs) the most disgusting color car you've ever seen in my life. But it was free. It was a gift from my grandfather, if you can call that a gift. And (laughs) When you'd shift on the tree, the gear shift lever would come out of the the steering wheel, and, you know, you didn't know what gear you were in. And sometimes the car would shift on itself. So, you know, it's a lot of good memories. You know, it made my mother feel safe because she knew I could run into anything and nothing would happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. You know, I was racing a uh, 1960 Lotus 18 once at a Pacific Raceway, and the gear shift lever came off in my hand. So uh, imagine that going through turn one at whatever speed a Lotus eighteen can go. It's it's not fast but it sure feels fast. So
3: I wish I could go that fast in that car. That was you know, I I, turned, I, I I sold it to a junkyard and I think they cut the top off of it. Next
0: question is kind of an interesting one and it is spirited some really interesting reactions. So I'm gonna start with you, Tom. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and more importantly, why did you choose that?
2: Oh, gosh. I think that it would probably be the Lexus LX570 that I'm driving now. All the cars I've ever owned, it's the most versatile. It's the car I like the most. I think it fits my personality because I think that uh, it just can do a lot. And I I think of uh, myself as having that capability of being able to do a lot of different things and do okay at it. And so this isn't the fastest car. This isn't the car that's the flashiest. By any means, but um, it's reliable. It um, just has interesting, very cool technology, and uh, and I absolutely love it. It's I've, this is my third one. You, know, you I don't think you'll ever see me not driving one.
0: Cool. And Vic, how about you?
1: I think the car I'm driving right now, my uh, 430 Scuderia. I graduated from the 63 Volkswagen to the Scuderia, but
0: <laughs> that's quite a graduation.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I like that car. You know, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to hold on to it at this point. I I haven't decided to move on to anything else right now.
0: What is it about that car that makes you think that's you?
1: The racing stripe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm trying to imagine a racing uh, stripe that. down your back. I'm just. Hmm. Uh,
1: that's, yeah, <laughs> I I really don't know. I just I just like that car. It, it, I don't know if it's. Uh, Uh, I don't know if it's the fire extinguisher or what that's on the floor. I don't know. I don't know how to answer your question, but it's a fun thought
0: anyway. That's why I put that in. It's an interesting question. And, Nick, how about you? If you were a car, what would you be and why?
3: You know, being a child of the 80s, um, when I think of my childhood and the cars that I would be, two cars come into mind, and that would either be a a 69 Dodge Charger, Dukes of Hazard. Or a Lamborghini Countach. And I think I, I lean more towards the Countach because at times I overheat. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, you know that, that just there's just so much style, I think, in that car.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. At times I overheat. <laughs> That's a good one. Is there a, an upcoming event or project with Exotics at Redmond Town Center that have you guys really excited right now? Or some things you're planning in the future, perhaps, that you can share with us?
3: Yeah, I mean, of course, we have our, our next two events. You know, uh, we've got our Porsche Day, which we actually have a a known race team here in, in Seattle. Uh, Cantrell Motorsports is going to show up with their full semi and and, and and quite a show. And then August 23rd is our British Car Day, and that always brings out a lot of things. And, uh, you know, we do our yearly uh, show called Staycation at Sato St. Michel in uh, early April usually, um, which we yep.
0: Okay. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received?
2: Oh, geez. quick blip. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, looking for the looking for the gas pedal there.
2: Uh, buy, rare. buy rare.
0: Buy rare. Okay, that's good. That's good.
3: Uh, uh, know if you have synchro on
1: second gear. <laughs>
0: that's yeah, that's very helpful, isn't it? And Nick, best automotive advice.
1: Uh, have good brakes.
0: Have good brakes. Okay. You guys are all pretty uh, kind of basic car guys. I like that. (laughs) Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success?
3: Uh, For me, diligence.
0: Great. Perfect.
3: Uh, This is Nick. I'm going to say patience.
0: Patience. (laughs) That's helpful, too, especially when you're dealing with exotic cars. Do you guys have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, Maybe it's a website or it's a, a forum you go to or a blog or something like that that you really enjoy getting all the time.
1: Uh, I'll, I'll take it. I, I go to Ferrari chat sometimes to you know to to seek out advice or uh, check out on issues and just get some opinions.
3: I believe it or not, there is a show on YouTube called Fast Lane Daily that has evolved into quite a car show, and it's a little fifteen minute show that they're just automotive news, and I and I
2: probably watch that every
0: day. Oh, cool. Okay.
2: Yeah, for me, there isn't anyone. You know, I'll kind of surf the forums, um, surf some of the car. Less so now just because I've gotten busier. But, um, you know, I used to just sort of make the rounds in the forums, not post so much, but just kind of get a feel for what's going on. Locally, I really like six-speed, primarily because it it has a little bit more candid chatter about what's happening. You know, we used to like FChat more, but um, it just became you know they turned it into something political so that one wasn't uh you know doesn't come up as much but 6beat uh, has been pretty good.
0: Okay, great. Guys, would you share a book that you've recently read that you really enjoyed with our listeners? And we'll start with Tom.
2: Yeah, um Self-Made in America is probably my favorite book for business for people who are uh young entrepreneurs. That's one I think is just really basic. It really says what it's about. The latest book I've been reading is Big Bang Disruption, which is sort of about how technologies uh, come in and disrupt so many other technologies uh, and make them go away literally overnight and um, sort of how to stay ahead of that stuff. It's pretty interesting.
3: Uh, this is Nick. Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, yeah,
0: sure. Perfect. Great business book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And who do we have left here, Vic?
1: Yes. The last book that I read uh, was uh, Steve Jobs' autobiography by Walter Isaac. Mm. Uh, but I read a lot of technical, uh, a lot of technical um, journals and, and articles and things having to do with electronics. That so that's where, unfortunately, my reading time goes is, is to reading and updating myself on some things like that. Not for entertainment necessarily, but uh, that's that's just where my reading
0: is. I want to remind our listeners: you can go to carsyeah.com and you can find these resources listed on the show notes page. So, guys, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a challenge sometimes for people. If you could have just one collector car in your garage, something that you couldn't sell to buy other cars with, and money was no object, what would that car be and why? And I'm going to start with Nick.
3: Wow. Um, Lamborghini Miura.
0: Ah, yes. <laughs> nice choice. And why do you, what is it about that car you like so much?
3: I, I truly believe that it's one of the first supercars ever if if not the first, you know, it, it's fast sitting still.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: absolutely gorgeous to me, and the technology that went into it in the time was uh,
1: incredible.
0: Oh, yeah, they are beautiful, beautiful cars. And, Vic, how about you?
1: James Glicken's house is a P3, P4.
0: Mm, yeah, that's a nice one. Remember seeing that on the upper lawn at Pebble Beach years back, and uh, that's a pretty special car for sure. And what is it about that car that pulls on your heartstrings?
1: looks, like the way it sounds, the technologies as he's applied to it, which obviously now he's building his own car. He's, he's passionate about it, and I, I've uh, enjoyed following his uh, his process.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. And Tom, how about you?
2: Um, Probably the Pagani Huayra. You know, if, if it ever really becomes a stable car, I think that would be one I'd be seriously interested in. I just keep hearing stuff that, you know, it's not all there yet but i look at that car and I absolutely marvel at it yeah i just think it's an absolutely gorgeous car to get production and stuff figured out i think i'd give that one a real serious look
0: yeah spectacular well guys you've taken us on a great ride today and this has been fun with three of you it's the first on cars yet yeah, and i appreciate all three of you getting together and, and talking with me really special for me and really appreciate your time i've enjoyed your stories and i want to thank you for sharing your journey with our listeners If each of you could give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in those favorite cars of yours, and then let the listeners know how they can find out more about exotics at Redmond Town Center, and then we'll say goodbye. We'll start with you, Tom.
2: I think that it's, you know, make the car what you love driving the most. Don't make it about what everybody else thinks of the car. Uh, Go with what you love, because that's
1: where you're going to get the most enjoyment.
0: Great advice. And Vic, how about you?
1: Well, I I can parallel Tom's. Uh, I I, I know that uh, everyone, a lot of people have uh, desires for for cars that they can't drive for whatever reason, their uh, financial or family considerations or whatever. But keep the passion and eventually you may reach your desired goals. And Nick? Um, I would definitely say that, you know,
3: kind of along the lines of Tom's quote, you know, don't let the trends influence what you love. You know, if you love British cars, be with British cars. (laughs) If you love Italian cars, be with Italian cars. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Drive your passion. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about this incredible event that you guys put on every Saturday?
3: We have our website, www.exoticsact.com. And there you'll find everything from a, a show calendar to uh, the basis of what our event is about and a little bit about us. You can find us on Facebook at Exotics at RTC. We are launching a new uh, a new uh, text message system that you can you can give us your phone number and we'll send you updates on if we're on or off every week, weather permitting.
0: Well, listeners, you can find, again, all these links at com slash Exotics at Redmond Town Center. And uh, look up. I like their webpage. It's great. There's always pictures posted there of the event if you can't make it for some reason or if you don't live in this area. uh, It's a really fun website to go to, and it's very well done as well. So thank you guys for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and, and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah!